How kind is our King, Jesus, to do everything necessary to reconcile us to our Heavenly Father. And then, with even more kindness, say to us as God's children, here's how you relate to your father. Here's how you pray. So we come again to the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. Remember, these are the words of our King, the words of Jesus as he uh, instructs those who belong to him. Do you belong to him? He's instructing those who belong to him, uh, belong to his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, how we're to pray. The, the, The Christian possesses this unspeakably wonderful privilege of coming to God, the God of the universe, the immutable, eternal God, as a child comes to her father, his father. We come to our Father knowing that there is not distance and coldness, indifference. We come to our Father knowing there is not a a need to, to somehow cause Him to love us. He loves us with a love that is sourced within Himself. And He welcomes us into His presence as a father welcomes a beloved child. So true prayer is familial in that sense. Jesus has already said in in Matthew 6, the the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven. And remember, the the, the wonder of that um, designation, God as Father, Abba, uh, is not so much um, casualness, chumminess, don't think that. It's familial. We've been brought into the family of God. We've got a seat at the table as God's kids. And that's why Jesus has already told his disciples, listen, don't pray like the, those Pharisees, the, the, the showmen. They, they just kind of want to have people see how well they pray. They, they want their, their, their highfalutin words to be heard by others so that they'll gain the attention of others. They have their reward. They got seen. That's what they wanted. That's all it was. That's not prayer. And Jesus has already told his disciples, don't be like the superstitious. Don't be like the heathen, the Gentiles, who with their vain repetitions, their their mindless babblings, their, their incantations, those were idolatrous utterances to made up gods. That's not prayer. No, the Christian alone can come to God as Father and and, and with a renewed heart, with with, with a forgiven heart, uh, with with a spirit-enlivened heart. Believers come to the Father with a desire that His name be honored. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. And we come with a desire that His kingdom would grow within us and around us. Father, your kingdom come, your will be done, verse 10. We want his will to be done, not just in our own lives, but in the lives of those around us. 
in this world that belongs to God. And one day we'll be claimed as his in the fullest sense when our king returns. Amen? Okay. And so prayer begins with God's priorities. These first three requests in the prayer. We looked at uh, this last week. This doesn't count against my time. The sermon hasn't started yet. Um, that these Prayer begins with God. His name, his kingdom, his will. And then prayer continues with, with my needs and our needs, the, the, the needs of those around us. Look at verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So God first, self second, God first, others second. And before we begin to squeeze this wonderfully simple instruction from our king about how to pray for our own needs, I want to mention a couple of things just to avoid any kind of misunderstanding. Here's the first thing that we might misunderstand if we're not careful. How many of you know God's people have a tendency to divide life into the secular and the sacred? What we're doing right now, well, that's, that's sacred. This is God's stuff. But when we leave here and we, you know, we drive home and, and we're feeding the kids lunch and, and changing our clothes, if we do that, interacting as a family, um, visiting with friends, well, that's secular. And God doesn't care as much about that stuff as he does this stuff. How many of you know that's not true? The Christian does not live a segmented life that way. In fact, in this prayer... If we're careful, we'll see that Jesus is actually instructing his disciples away from this very thing. All of life is to be offered to God and is therefore sacred. You say, with our, how much does God love you? He loves you as a child so that everything going on in your life matters to him. You cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. Nothing in your life is trivial. To your father. And therefore nothing in your life is trivial to you. Think of it this way. Our king, Jesus, spent 30 years of his earthly life doing what? Learning carpentry from his stepfather, we would, we would call Joseph. He, he picked up around the house. You ever think about stuff like that? Uh, he... he had friends. He, he learned obedience to his earthly parents. We often don't think of these things because the scripture is mostly silent about that part of our Savior's life. What we read of in the Gospels, including Matthew's Gospel, is in terms of time, a, a, a small part of Jesus' earthly life. He spent decades doing what you and I would call secular things. The, the kinds of things all humans do. And, and, and he showed what? What it's like to do the things all humans do to the glory of God. He spent just three years preaching and, and publicly proclaiming 
the coming of the kingdom of heaven. And yet the father says of Jesus, Matthew's already told us this in chapter 3, the father says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Well, that was before Jesus began what you and I think of as his earthly ministry. Turns out his whole life is his earthly ministry. And Jesus himself said of his entire life, not just what we would call the the ministry part of life, John 8, I always do those things that please him. I always do those things that please my father. So, 3 into 30, I don't know, that's a, that 3 into 33, that's a, that's math for sure, but but I'm thinking, you know, 90-some percent of Jesus' earthly life. All of it pleasing to the Father. All of it. A life the Father looks upon and says, "This, that's my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. All of life is sacred when it's lived to please God. So even the most routine things, eating meals, Traveling, buying things, talking to other people, working, playing, building, cleaning, repairing. Do you realize all that stuff can be done to the glory of God? So we don't want to approach the Lord's Prayer as a model for us by thinking that God's priorities, though first, somehow diminish in importance the daily needs of God's people. He's beckoning us in this prayer. No, come to me with those daily needs. It's just that when you begin with a heart for my name and my kingdom and my will, well, well, now your daily needs have been put through the right filter, haven't they? Haven't they? It's always helpful if there's a little feedback. Just not a lot, but just a little bit. It helps the person up here. And so, so now the sermon starts. This is, this is the beginning. Look, look at verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Again, it, it, it's easy to spiritualize this. Because we, 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 we just ascended the heights in prayer, if you will, praying that the Father's name would be honored, that, that his, his kingdom would come, that, that his will would be done. Um, in fact, all of the stuff that's happening in heaven right now, I, Lord, I want that to be happening here. And now I'm going to ask for a sandwich. Is that what this is? Yes. Yes, it is. Don't spiritualize this and be like, the, well, he, he must be talking about the word of God. Well, he is, but also the sandwich. Also the food, the literal food that you need to exist every day. Here is a prayer for provision. Give us this day our daily bread. The provision of what? Everything necessary to live for God. If I'm going to be the kind of person who can pray with any kind of truthfulness, I'm not talking about vain repetition. The Lord's Prayer does get used that way, doesn't it? But if I'm, if I'm to pray the, the idea that this prayer is modeling, your, your, 
name be honored, God. Your, your kingdom come in my life. Your will be done in my life, in, in, my, in my, the members of my church, their lives, Lord. If, if I'm going to pray for that with any kind of truthfulness, how many of you know I need lots of stuff from God if that's going to happen? In fact, I need everything necessary for that to happen to come from God. I'm not sufficient within myself for these things. If God's name is to be honored, if, if, if God's kingdom is to grow among the people we call Hayden Bible Church, if God's will is to be exerted in the, in, in the, the community of Hayden and Coeur d'Alene and, and you know, even, even up in Athel and Rathrum, places like that, if, if we really desire this, what do we need from God? Everything. Everything. Give us this day our daily bread. I'll I'll not depend on yesterday's grace. I'll not presume upon next week's favor. I'll I'll not rely on my own abilities. Well, I've, I've done this before. God, forgive us that. Lord, save us from that. Listen, our privilege is to approach our Father and lay before Him every single physical, emotional, and spiritual need in order for us to live for Him this day. Give us this day our daily bread. Here's a prayer for God's provision. The average worker in Jesus' day, the, the, the kinds of, of people who are, who are seated on this hillside overlooking the Sea of Galilee, uh, as these words are, are preached for the first time, the, the average worker among them just got paid every evening. He, 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 he got paid for tomorrow's bread, basically. That's the meaning here. The word daily... Um, Linguists aren't really sure what is meant by the the Greek word that is translated daily because it's only used in the Lord's Prayer. Only here in Matthew and in Luke's rendering of the Lord's Prayer, Luke 11. But it's been understood to mean necessary. Okay, or or maybe tomorrow's bread, that kind of idea. But it comes from root words that suggest sustenance. In, In other words, what is needful. So, so we're not, we want to be careful not just to over-spiritualize this as people who, frankly, don't often pray that the Lord would provide the next meal. Why? Be- because we've become so bored with his blessings that we just assume it's an automatic thing. And, and, and what? I mean, not you. I'm talking about the, the people in the next service. But, but listen, if... How does God grow us out of this he might just withhold something every once in a while not, not because he's um, messing with us but because he, he loves us enough to teach us that what does James say every good thing comes from God comes down from the father of lights with whom there is no shadow of changing God is always at work and God is good. That means God's work is always good. We're meant to depend upon God for this goodness. So the idea here is that the bread of our necessity, what is necessary for today to live for God today, 
Jesus is about to say in, in this same sermon, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, therefore do not worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. And so we ask. The prayer is an echo of Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you, and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So this, this give us this day our daily bread is a, is a prayer acknowledging your dependence upon God. My dependence upon God. For what? For everything I need to live for God today. Now, I'm just spitballing here, but it's possible that in a group this size, there's at least one cynic. So let me just, so this is just for that person. The rest of you, stop your watches. Um, well, why would I pray for daily bread? I've I got a job. In fact, I don't even work for somebody else. I work for myself. I'm a, I'm a self-made man. I'm, I'm a self-made a woman, I, why, would I, why would I pray for that? I, I provide that myself. Listen, listen to what the Lord told his people in, in Deuteronomy 8. He says, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. We, we, we owe all that we have to God's good providence, not to ourselves. That's why when we get together this afternoon... Are you coming this afternoon? Okay, good. Um, what was I going to say? When we get together this afternoon, we're going to celebrate the good things that God has done among us. We're not going to celebrate all the stuff we came up with ourselves, as if somehow that was distinct from the enablement of God. We don't breathe another breath unless it's given to us by God. Now, here's the thing, again, to the cynic, um, God's means of provision does often involve our diligent labors, doesn't it? And so relying on God's provision is not a license to laziness. No, our dependence upon God's provision spurs me in the direction of God's means for provision. I'm going to live in the direction of that which God has promised to do for his people. Does that make sense? So give us this day our daily bread is not, Lord, we're not doing anything, so just please rain quarters, or actually in light of inflation, um, 50 cent pieces, right? Puritan Thomas Manton put it this way. He said, God hath determined how much everyone shall possess, uh, what shall fall to his share, these things come not by chance or by the gift of others or by our own industry, but by the peculiar designation of God's providence. So even the labor we do, we understand as a labor enabled, provided for from God. So, so implicit in, the, in this 
prayer for God's provision is this. Kingdom people are a dependent people. Christians live with an awareness that everything needed to live for God comes from God. You still listening? So we pray not only for the necessities of life, but for the strength and the wisdom to use them rightly. Amen? Our Father wants us to ask Him for everything we need to live for Him. Live the life He's called us to live in His kingdom for His kingdom. Do do we need food for that? Of course. Uh, Do do we need wisdom for that? Yes. And And He's given us His wisdom, hasn't He? Do we need energy? Do we need health? Do we need volition? Of course. And so we ask, believing that the Father desires to give good things to his kids, though we're so prone to think we're self-sufficient. So anyway, all of that to say, the Lord's Prayer does help us stop living with this artificial division of the activities of life. Some things are sacred, some things are secular. No, if you're a child of the king, everything's sacred. If you're not a child of the king, nothing is. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. The word debt here in verse 12 is referring to sin. Um, The New Living Translation is helpful. Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. That might be a verse that you might want to highlight that in your, that in your friend's Bible. I mean, just so they don't forget it, right? Uh, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, okay? So my, my prayers for provision, listen, do you ever have this, this sense of awareness in prayer as you're asking God to meet those needs that relate to living as one of his children in the world that you don't actually deserve any of it? It's not like you have it coming, right? As, as an entitlement. And part of this awareness that you don't really have it coming, though the Father delights to give, don't miss that, Part of this, I don't really have it coming, is what? How how can I possibly ask the Lord to meet my needs in a way that's detached from my own sinfulness? My awareness of my own sinfulness. Even as a redeemed person, I nonetheless still sin. Do you still sin? The correct answer is yes. Yes, I have a new heart that loves God. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, I, I, I love his ways, and yet I find, don't you, that I still fail to live out the loyalty to God that I'm called to live out day by day? There, there is a battle within me, and I'm thinking there probably is within you too. A battle between loyalty to the Lord and loyalty to self. There's always the danger of these things being practical, right? And personal. We know these words so well. Romans 7, Paul says, For the good that I will to do, I do not do. 
But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. That is the believer's lament. Right? No longer slaves to sin by nature. Praise God. Yet nonetheless, sometimes choosing sin, whether actively or passively. So here is a prayer for God's pardon. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. We pray for provision, says the king, and we pray for pardon. You're thinking, well, wait a minute. Let me, let me think this through because it's my understanding that as a disciple, as a, as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, um, my sins are already forgiven, right? I mean, is, isn't that what we just saw in the Beatitudes? I don't mean last week, but, you know, not, not that long ago. How, how does one enter the kingdom of heaven? How, what is the nature of one who enters the kingdom of heaven? She's, she's poor in spirit. She realizes that she is insufficient within herself to have any relationship with God. He realizes he is sinful before a holy God. And they hunger for a righteousness Outside of themselves because they don't have it themselves. They mourn over their sin, says the king. And they rejoice in repentance and faith in the king. Because God's requirement for us to be righteous is satisfied in the work of our king for us. Amen? This is the gospel. And there is no other gospel. So, so, so what on earth is this about then? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Let me, before we get to that, again, stop your watch. Um, are, are you satisfied in him? Because this prayer is only for those who are satisfied in Christ. What do I mean by that? Are you satisfied that Jesus' perfect life and Jesus' death on that cross to atone for your sin, his resurrection in the power of an endless life for you, are you satisfied that God's justice is served for you in Christ? It's okay to nod your head. So what, 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 if, what if I'm just coming to an awareness of that right now, surrounded by all these churchy people? Repent. Trust in Christ. Enter the kingdom. Well, having entered the kingdom, why then would I need this prayer for pardon? Well, this, is, this, is, this is big grand stuff. It's not complicated. This is to do with our relationship, the enjoyment of our relationship with the Father. 
My sin, judicially, is taken care of. It's been judged, all of it, in Christ at Calvary. But how many of you know any sin in my life robs my life of the the, the joy of that relationship? You say, well, what's that like? Well, you know what it's like, and so do I. Picture your family relationships. We're going to go there. Just picture that. Don't, Don't look around. But somewhere in your family relationships, there's a, there's a thing that happened, right? And in some of our families, we don't even remember way back when. We don't even know what the thing was. We just know something happened. And that thing has brought a funk into the relationship. And it makes it hard to swallow your turkey every Thanksgiving, doesn't it? So we know all about this. And God's kids come into the Father's presence Tracking mud on their shoes. Living with an awareness of their selfishness and their rebellion against God. I speak from experience. I'm not talking about you people. The father says, don't, don't, don't do that. Don't make a mockery of this. Forgive us our sins. As we forgive those who sin against us. So this prayer for pardon, you're still listening. This prayer for pardon is not to do with your standing before God as a believer. This prayer for pardon is to do with your relationship with God, your communion with him as father. That's why, um, wasn't it last week we had the Lord's, yeah, well that was why last week we, we turned to the scriptures before we came to the Lord's table together and we needed to hear the admonition, hey, I love you, says the Father, but don't, don't do this in an unworthy manner. Keep short accounts with your Father for love's sake. Our Father wants his children to enjoy relationship with him, not live with the sorrow of relational distance from him. So we need this prayer for pardon. We pray as David did, Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Now, why does David pray for this pardon? Is it because he's going to, he fears he's going to lose his standing with God? No, he, he, he craves the intimate, familial relationship with God, and he, and he knows it's been strained by his own sin. So David's prayer continues. Do not cast me away from your presence. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. See, this is to do with joy in relationship, not judicial standing. Do you, um, do you experience this thing called mixed motives? Anybody? Me too. 
I mean, do you, do you experience this thing where you're, 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 you're praying in all sincerity and, and, and yet you don't even trust your own sincerity? It's, it's hard to express, but if you get it, you got it, right? Um, turns out that's normal for fallen people. And so the evidence of our awareness of the great cost of our own forgiveness is what? That forgiveness spills out onto other people who have offended us, who have sinned against us. Didn't Jesus already say in this sermon, hey, if you're... uh, I'm sure this is in Matthew's gospel. There it is in in chapter 5. If you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, verse 23, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. The, The Lord is saying, in light of what you have been forgiven, in light of the cost of, of, of your forgiveness, how could you come and worship? And pray, bearing a grudge against someone else for the comparatively little that's been done to you. What a a prayer this is. Lord, by the same measure I forgive others, forgive me. Wow. Martin Lloyd-Jones put it this way. He said, the proof that you and I are forgiven is that we forgive others. The Christian who knows she's been forgiven only through the shed blood of Christ will be increasingly a forgiving person. Him too. Now we're going to come back to that. Why? Because Jesus does. Isn't it fascinating that of all of the things that he instructs his own to pray this is the one that gets um, what you and I would call commentary in verses 14 and 15. The verses 14 and 15 of Matthew 6 are, are like a footnote to, to, from Jesus to this part of what we call the Lord's Prayer. And so, so we'll come back to that. But, but for today, maybe just think of it this way. God sees his own image reflected in his forgiving children. What is salvation? Well, it's a get-out-of-hell-free card. No, it is not. It's the new birth. The same gospel appropriated by faith through the grace of God is a gospel that imparts not just liberty from sin's penalty, hell, but liberty from sin's power to dominate your life. Like what, what kind of sin? Like the sin of bitterness, grudge-keeping, score-keeping against others. We're being restored, are we not? As God's image bearers? God relentlessly chipping off all the stuff that doesn't look like Jesus? And, and that hurts at times, doesn't it? And at times we're, we're, we're astounded at how... How, how much needs to be chipped off yet? At least I am. But, but a, what a wonder this is. God seeing his own image reflected in his forgiving children. 
Um, you care if this is practical for a minute? Let's just say you're married. Um, husbands and wives desiring for that marriage to be a picture in the neighborhood, the, the community of Hayden, of, of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, really militate against that goal when you're always helping the other remember where they've failed, where they've failed you. Now, you don't do that. Again, this is for the second service people, but just, just think of the practicality of this. If God has forgiven, and he has, amen? How can his people not forgive? Why would his people need to perpetually bring up to others, married or not, this is true in in any human relationship, hey, I I really love you, but can I just remind you how in the past you've been a real dirtbag? Can we just go there for a minute? Because that kind of helps me say what I'm about to say. Stop that. Stop that. You cannot truthfully pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, um, meaning what Jesus desires for it to mean, and, and be that kind of person. Okay. To ask God for what we ourselves refuse to others is to insult him, isn't it? Okay. So we have a prayer for provision, and we have a prayer for pardon, and now we have a prayer for protection. Look at, look at verse 13. Uh, first part, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The, the, the prayer for pardon, you, you could think of as like restorative medicine, right? There, there's, there, there's sin in my life. It, 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 it's, I'm a saved person, but, I, but I want to I confess that to the Father and experience the freshness of that um, uh, cleansing from him. But, but now here is a prayer for, for preventative medicine. Do you mean as a believer, I should pray about the sin I haven't even done yet? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely you should. As a believer, I crave relational restoration. Father, forgive us our debts. And as a believer, I crave protection from further temptation. Do I not? Why? Because I know myself, and you know yourself. The enemy of souls does not want me to live a life of reverence for God's name. The enemy of souls does not want me to live a life preoccupied with God's kingdom. The enemy of souls does not want me to live a life of obedience to his will as it's revealed to me in the scriptures. And, and so there is a relentless attack. Do you ever feel the weight of this? Of course you do. Temptation towards self-rule, self-will. Man, I want to be protected against that. I don't want to be left to my own strength, my own wisdom. I've heard all of my ideas and they're not that good. I've experienced what happens when I live in my own strength. It goes nowhere. Nowhere good. 
What has Matthew already told us in his gospel about our King Jesus? Chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And what what did our King accomplish there for his people? Some of you are getting nervous, so just stick with me here. Um, He remained the perfectly obedient image bearer of God. In other words, what, what Adam was created to do and failed to do, uh, w- w- the second Adam, Jesus, has accomplished. Amen? But that attack from Satan was ferocious. And it was, the on- it was not the only attack. Jesus was always attacked by Satan. It wasn't just in the wilderness. It wasn't just at Gethsemane. So Jesus instructs his people to pray, Father, um, don't, don't, don't lead us there, but, but if you do, um, deliver us from the evil one. We, we depend upon you, not ourselves. Now the scripture makes clear that God does not tempt anyone with sin. So, so don't misunderstand this. James um, chapter 1 and this doesn't count against my time either, but J- James 1, um, 13, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, uh, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Um, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And, and you know, the, the, the cliff notes on that are what? You own it. I own it, you know, when, when it comes to sin. But here is a prayer of dependence. God does not tempt me towards sin, but he will in his providence allow me to experience trials. And his motive in allowing me to experience trials is not failure, but purification, sanctification. And so I'm praying, Father, I I don't don't even want to be led in that place where I'm going to be so prone to offend your holiness, where where I'm going to be so prone to live as Steve apart from Jesus, not as Steve owned by Jesus. Sinclair Ferguson points out that Jesus is, is more concerned about the activities of Satan than most of his people are. Now that's that's a that's a shot across the bow, isn't it? I mean, what's he saying? He's just saying, look, you're meant to take this seriously. Don't shrug off the plain teaching of Scripture that we battle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. The church militant is the church militated against by the evil one. Don't don't take that lightly. Peter knew this all too well from his own experience, didn't he? What does he say? Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Notice in in Peter's... um, you know, the Holy Spirit through Peter is telling us that just the, the simple picture of a roaring lion, we, we get that, right? But notice how the believer 
according to 1 Peter, is not passive in this. The, 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 the believer is to actively avoid temptation as opposed to what? As opposed to playing with it. I mean, can you, just the, the simplicity of a, can you imagine, um, you know, just sort of wandering through the, where do lions live these days? Um, the Sahara Desert. Let's just pretend there's lions there. It seems like there would be. Um, and, and, and you're not armed, and, and it's at night, and you're coated in bacon grease. And, and you're, and Lord, save me from the lions. I mean, that, now that's just stupid, isn't it? But, but how many believers do that when it comes to temptation from sin? We don't need a bunch of examples, do we? So, as I pray, do not lead me into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. Is this not an acknowledgement that I, I need to live in the direction of that help? I, I, I'm, I'm meant to um, use God's means for protection. Do you realize that this gathering is one such means? Of grace, I don't mean saving grace. I mean strengthening grace. It makes no sense to pray, "Lead us not into temptation," unless we're resolved to avoid temptation. So, so think about this. What what, what are your areas of weakness when it comes to sin? Turns out you know what they are. This is not a surprise. It's not a a, a pop quiz you can't pass. Um, I, I'm not to be naive about this. I mean, can you honestly pray, lead me not into temptation with respect to sexual sin when you've put up no boundaries, no defenses whatsoever when it comes to that kind of temptation? No. Lord, don't let me grow cold in my love towards you, but, and, but I, I never avail myself of God's means of stoking the fire of love for my Savior. Father, don't let my kids stumble into worldly living, but I'm not doing in the home what God says ought to be done in the home to encourage our kids to grow in grace. Secondly, um, lead us not into temptation also acknowledges God's providence in keeping me from temptation. If you ever, ever get... Um, proud of your track record with respect to defeating temptation. Can we just agree that we wouldn't do that? But again, other people, let's just say they were to do that. Uh, what, what, what do we need to be reminded of before we're quick to say, I'm so glad I'm not like that guy. Man, I'm, so, I'm so blessed I'm not like her. Do you think it's possible that God in his providence just made sure you didn't have her circumstances, have his opportunities. And so we pray for his protection. One last thing I want to mention with respect to um, protection from temptation is active obedience. Active obedience. It's hard to walk in two directions at the same time. 
And our king demonstrated this in his own battle with temptation. In his humanity, Jesus' mind was saturated with the word of God. So so it was a ready defense when the tempter came. In his humanity, Jesus always got up early and he got alone and he got away from all the other people so he could get alone with the Father. Jesus, in his perfect humanity, needed to do so. How much more do you suppose you need to do so? I need to do so. David typified this in in the Psalms when he sang in Psalm 119, How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. God tells us in his word that even the fellowship of his people which I would submit to you that it's easy to take that for granted until we're reminded that in many places on planet Earth, Jesus' people are running for their lives and it isn't safe for them to gather together, yet they do it anyway. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. We need each other. You notice how often the word us shows up in the second part of the Lord's Prayer? This is a corporate thing. This is a family thing, not a me thing. It's a we thing. So we pray for provision. Give us this day our daily bread. We pray for pardon and forgive us our debts as we forgive those, forgive our debtors, and we, and we pray for protection. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And notice, just I'll, I'll end with this, all of this need is informed by, in fact, bookended by, a preoccupation with God's name and God's kingdom and God's will. And so the doxology, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And and there we have, thank you for that, but we're not done just yet. Um, And and there we have... um, some of you are saying, well, wait a minute, Th- those words are, are, not, are not even in my Bible. What's the deal with that? Or maybe there's a little footnote, but the print is so small you can't read it, and so you haven't read it, and, and what on earth is this even about? Well, it, th- this doxology is missing from some of your Bibles because it doesn't imp- appear in, in the earlier manuscripts, the earliest ones that give us Matthew's Gospel. So, so it's possible... Not certain, but possible uh, that it was included later as this prayer was introduced into the liturgy of of the early church. Um, Emphasis on the word possible. Um, What can we be sure of? We we can be sure of this. It, It is always appropriate 
when acknowledging our need, our need for provision, our need for pardon, our need for protection to end where we begin with God. God, this is, this is all to do with your kingdom, with your name, with, with your will, with your glory. If it were not so, there, 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 there would be some things I, I wouldn't pray then, right? Prayer begins with God, and prayer ends with God. Remember, there's a day coming when we... You ever think about this? There's a day coming when we will not any longer pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why? Because the Father's heaven will have come to this earth, right? And, and, and the King's heavenly nature will have been fully produced in us, being sanctified now one day to be glorified. You ever think about that? The king's family will be together completely, fully, perfectly on that day when we see the king. And so we ask him for grace to live toward that day. Amen? All right, now we're done. Let's pray. Father, we... Rejoice at this wonderful help that you've given to us as fallen people that we might know how to approach the living God who loves in such a way that we, through your work, Jesus, are now his children. Lord, we do ask that your name would be set apart and honored We ask, Lord, that your kingdom would grow among us. We ask you, Lord, that your will would be done, not only in our own lives, but in the lives of our fellow church members. And, and Lord, even in this community, dark as it is, I pray that your will would be exerted, Lord, in our government, in our schools, in our our elections, Lord, in, in the way that people made in your image live life. May it be so. And Lord, for all of this, for us to participate, we, we have so much need. Thank you for your generosity, Lord. Thank you for your forgiveness. Help us to be the kind of people that are spilling that forgiveness onto others, that you would be glorified, that your gospel would be seen. Lord, we don't want to be those who play with temptation, but, but realize, Lord, we have this need to... Uh, to live with eyes in the backs of our heads, Lord, to, to be on guard, even as you are our ultimate protector. And so we ask you for that, for your name's sake, for your kingdom's sake, for your glory, in Jesus' name.